Hello and welcome to our weekly podcast from Faith Point Church, Auckland, New Zealand. We hope you will encounter God afresh in this week's teaching segment. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to hear more, then you can visit us at www.faithpoint.org.nz. And now for today's message. It's interesting with Noah. Like I've really read a lot. There's not a lot about him prior to the ark and the flood. But his character and his faithfulness really stands out to me. But Noah and the ark has also stood out in the 21st century everywhere around the world. I mean, they actually made, a, I call it a semi-fabricated movie of Noah and the flood. How many people have seen that one? I can't remember the name of the character, the main actor now. Heaven Almighty was the name of the movie. Oh, it's funny, but, but prefabricated. <coughs> so a movie's been made. Archaeologists have been studying for decades all over the place to find evidence of the ark. And I think it was 2001, between 2001 and 2006, that explorers actually went out and they say they found part of Noah's ark at the top of Mount Ararat, which is in Turkey. So all great discoveries. But today I want to walk you through the biblical, accurate and true account of what took place when God chose one man and his family to bring a second chance for humanity. So if you can turn in your Bibles, please, to Genesis chapter 6, verses 9 to 22. I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation. And if you wonder why I've got a big Bible, big Bible means big words, means I can see. <laughs> so here we go, starting in verse 9. This is the history of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless man living on earth at the time. He consistently followed God's will and enjoyed a close relationship with him. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, I'm not sure how you pronounce this, Japheth. Now the earth had become corrupt in God's sight and it was filled with violence. God observed all this corruption in the world and he saw violence and depravity everywhere. So God said to Noah, I have decided to destroy all living creatures for the earth is filled with violence because of them. Yes, I will wipe them all from the face of the earth. So he then said to Noah, verse 14, Make a boat from resinous wood, seal it with tar inside and out, then construct decks and stalls throughout its interior, make it 450 feet high, imagine, or 450 feet long, sorry, 75 feet wide and 45 feet high. Construct an opening all the way around the boat, 18 inches below the roof, then put three decks inside the boat, bottom, middle and upper, and put a door in the side. Look, I am about to cover the earth with a flood that will destroy every living thing. Everything on earth will die, but I solemnly swear to keep you safe in the boat with your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring a pair of every kind of animal, a male and a female, into the boat with you to keep them alive during the flood. Pairs of each kind of bird and each kind of animal, large and small alike, will come to you to be kept alive. And remember, take enough food for your families and for all the animals. Noah did everything exactly as God had commanded him. So he did. God has and always will work through a godly man or woman to accomplish his divine person. Purposes. And Noah was such a man. It says in Genesis 6-9 that Noah was godly, he was righteous, 
He walked close to God. And he consistently, I think that's a big thing today, he consistently followed God's will. And because of his relationship with God, he was able to hear and discern his voice. And we get caught up in busyness. I don't know about you, but for me sometimes I'm so busy I've got to stop because I'm sure God is trying to get my attention. But we're so busy racing around sometimes. But amongst his contemporaries, Noah was also known as a godly man. A godly man, and when he was going through difficult times, held on to his trust and held on to his faith in God. So we just need to picture this. In the midst of a world of social, moral, and social decline, God found Noah. A godly man who not only had faith, but stood in the midst of opposition. Can you imagine someone building a boat where there'd been no rain? And, you know, as much as they knew he was a godly man, he was a faithful man, the persecution and the mockery and the laughing that must have taken place for Noah. But he was a godly man, and at 480 years old, God reveals to him a divine calling, a divine mandate, and God empowered him to help in restoring time for humanity. Genesis tells us that the world was corrupt and it grieved God's heart. It broke his heart to see the state that the world had turned into. Let's read from Genesis chapter 6 and go back to verses 1 to 6 just before. And it tells you the state that the world was in. And I want you to think about it. Because I think our world is fairly similar to that state. It says in verse 1, Now it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be one hundred and twenty years. There were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterwards, when the sons of God came to the daughters of men, they bore children to them. There were the mighty men who were of old men of renown. Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil, consistently evil. Notice it says that through this passage, consistently. We're not talking about someone's man just going through a difficult time or a woman going through a difficult time, but the world was consistently evil. And the Lord was sorry he had made the earth and this grieved his heart. There's such a similarity, such a parallel between the days in which Noah lived and the days that we live in now. Population had increased. We know from our own society that when population increases, it creates food shortage, uh, environmental issues, which we're really suffering a lot at the moment. When there's a population has increased, population explodes, um, and it can create a lot of unemployment. People either live beyond their means, or people are overworked and underpaid, and I think a lot of us here would understand that and agree with that. When the population increases, there's also a lower quality of life, family tension, and often brings a bit of violence and abuse. Also, corruption increased. As population grows, so too does sin. And verses 1 to 6 that we just read tell us about the sin that was going on. But you know what? If we had to add it up, it is spiritual and moral contamination that was taking place in the world in the days of Noah. 
But it's so important, church, not to get negative about that. God was giving the world a second chance. He looked down at this depravity and it grieved his heart. And he found Noah and said, we're going to give the world a second chance. It's always important to remember that God loved the people. Never for a minute does it say God disliked the people. God loved all the animals in the world that he created. God absolutely loved it. But God looked at it and it grieved his heart. So often when things go wrong, we blame God. So often we look at things, we blame God and say, you know, it's God's fault. But what happened here, God was addressing the systems that man had created. God created a beautiful world. God created great men and women. God created the beautiful animals and everything in it. But it had become corrupt. And it was a system that man had created. So here was God working through Noah. And he was going to restore and give man a second chance. If you flick over to the book of John, in chapter 5, John chapter 16, you'll see that Jesus did the same thing. He wanted to give man a second chance. John 16, verses 5 to 8. Here we see Jesus is giving his final farewell to the disciples. He'd been walking on the earth for three years, doing great things, showing his love, discipling people, caring for people, healing people. And in the scripture, Jesus is giving his final farewells to the disciples. And he leaves an assurance with them that he will never abandon them. Hebrews 13.5, Jesus says, I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. But the thing is, there's times in our life when we actually abandon him. We abandon him. I went through a really difficult time in my life and I felt like that. I had cancer and I thought, where is God? Where is God in all of this? But you know, he said to me, I'll never leave you, Sue. I will never abandon you. And here am I standing here 10 years later, cancer free. And I say, amen. Did I get bitter? No. I learned to keep sweet, to keep my spirit sweet. But there is a second chance. So here is Jesus with his disciples giving this final farewell, and he says to them, but now I am going away to the one who sent me. And none of you have asked me where I am going. Instead, you are very sad, but it's actually best for you that I go away, because I, if I don't, the counsellor, the spirit won't come. So Jesus is talking here that he's going away, but he's going to leave the spirit, the counsellor, and Greek, the paraclete, with us. If I do go away, he will come because I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convince the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. Isn't that fantastic? So we have a chance, just like Noah did in his generation, we have a chance because Jesus is saying here, when he went back, he left his Holy Spirit. Where does his Holy Spirit live? Lives in us and through us. He's going to convince the world of its depravity and sin and bring people back to God. John again is speaking as it's a system of belief, life and thoughts that have gone off course. Exactly that, and full of depravity. And God wants to bring the world back into alignment. Are you with me? God gave Noah a strategic plan to bring about social, moral and spiritual restoration a second chance. A second chance for humanity. I'm not going to read all the scripture, but in Genesis 6, 14 to 22, 
Jesus says, uh, God said, I will destroy man from earth with a flood. Go build a boat. Do you like my boat? Is my boat not working? I've got a great boat here. Remember Noah had three sons and wives and I thought, can you imagine what his kids probably were going through when this boat was being built? That's not actually the ark. <laughs> but I can imagine them sitting there thinking, what's our dad doing? He's going a bit crazy, you know. There's no rain in our place. There's been no rain at all. And I bet at times these teenagers were just scratching their head thinking, where's our dad? But God said, go build a boat, an ark, a place of comfort, a place that's going to be safety, a place of rest. Take your children and their families with you. And we know he had three sons and they had wives and that's how we get the multiplication after that. And two kinds of any, every animal. So Noah did everything exactly as God commanded him. And some Bibles say, so he did. Now God allowed a period of 120 years for Noah to complete the process. No one really knows if it was 120 years to build the ark, but 120 years from the process of when God spoke to him to when the ark was eventually finished. God allowed a period of 120 years. He said, my spirit must not be disgraced in man. I will give him 120 years to mend his ways. Now here's my thought on Noah and what happened here. Is whether you interpret that verse in chapter 6, verse 3, as 120 years from the time when Noah was told to the time of the flood, because he was 480 years old when God spoke to him. He was 600 years old when the flood started. Or whether you interpret it as the lifespan given for man, it's a time of grace. It's a time of grace for man to get his life right. God was giving man a second chance. 120 years. Imagine how much these teenagers grew in 120 years because people lived a lot longer than that. But God said they will have 120 years. I'm sure that Noah was known in his community, would have been knocking on doors, would have been telling people that the rain's going to come. Hello? Yes. <laughs> that the rain's going to come, that it's going to be a flood. Come in the boat with us. Come in the boat with us. Because he'd want everyone saved that could be saved. But no one did. And God said he was going to destroy everyone. So what a great mission. What a great mandate Noah had. And what great op opportunities I believe us as a church have to make a kingdom difference in our generation. Young ones that are sitting here, you can make a difference in your generation that we can't. You're going to reach people that my age group can't. And people my age and around my age, there are so many people out there that are hurting, that are broken, that are lonely. My mother is in a retirement village. She would have family visitors every day of the week. You have to almost book appointments to see my mother. But there are so many people in the retirement village and in houses in our, our towns and suburbs that never have a visitor, that never have someone go and talk to them. And here is our chance to reach humanity. Here is our time to be a Noah and make a difference in restoration of people's lives. So we can look at the state of society in this century and all its depravity and we can lose heart. Or we can look at the world, see it through the eyes of God and have a second chance. So what can we learn to turn the tide in our generation? Firstly, the lesson I learned from Noah is let's keep focused 
Let's keep focused and alert. John 17, 18 says, As you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. Everyone has a mission in life. Sometimes we need to look around us. We think of the word of mission as just international work. No, we've got a job to do. We've got a part in God's kingdom to make a difference. And often we're waiting for it to fall out of the sky. We're waiting for the supernatural boom in a, in a service where we get this prophetic word and it's going to come over us. But sometimes we just need to look at what's in front of us today. Sometimes we just need to look who's beside us in our community or look behind us and see what we've learned from there. In our workplace, in the business we're involved in, there are so many opportunities for us to help bring moral restoration in the language that we speak. Remember, we're filled with the Spirit of God. And if you're not filled with the Spirit of God, it's as easy as accepting Jesus into your life in a step of faith. And when you do that, his spirit comes to live within us. And his spirit is what empowers us. His spirit is, is what brings peace in the midst of a storm. Peace in the midst of a storm. So we can help by getting out there and being involved, but keep focused, keep alert. I was very much involved for a few years in, just, in Justice Acts. It's a charitable organisation that was for prevention of human trafficking in New Zealand. People would think, not in our country. There's no human trafficking. There is human trafficking going on in New Zealand, and it needs looking at. Um, so I got involved in that. Was I experienced in it? No. But I thought, as a Christian, isn't it good to get involved in some of these voluntary things that are going on out there so that we can speak into it? In political arenas, I have a friend called Jonathan Young. He's the MP for New Plymouth. So great to see him in government because he will stand on the values of God and speak up when it's needed. So keep focused and alert, everyone, and just look for those opportunities that are there. Walk closely to God. Noah walked closely to God. How did he hear the voice of God? How did he discern the voice of God? It's because he walked closely and consistently with God. He had a relationship with him, so when God spoke... He could hear his voice, and he could know what he was saying. You see, when we walk closely to God, our lives become a testimony to those around us. You know what? People are watching you. I was talking to the um, young people that came to the um, Global Advance, and I was saying how we're always a role model. We're always a model out there. When people know you're a Christian, they do keep an eye on you. They do listen to the words that you say. And they are looking for the right spirit. There's so many movies made. If you look at all the movies now and on TV programs about the supernatural, it's all about the spirit world, right? But people need to be guided to the right spirit. And I believe if we stay focused and alert, we walk closely with God and listen to God, that should come out of us wherever we are, and become contagious. And we can start to make a difference. We can build credibility. We can build respect and be allowed to speak into people's lives and help change some values. Amen? We're the church of God. We've got the greatest power that's living right within us. Uh, I had a situation I, I shared it at Global Advance. But, uh, in the house next to me down the right of way, we have a Tongan family, a lovely Tongan family, and they have a son. He's 26 years old. And um, 
Christmas time, my daughter and I and Manu and a couple of other people were having a barbecue outside. But Manu decided, it was 35 degrees, he decided he was going to take the tin off the roof of our house because we just pulled the chimney out, put a heat pump in, and we thought if we take the chimney out, this is before the wet weather gets here. Um, so Manu's up on the roof, 35 degrees, it's boiling hot. He's up on our... Um, it's just a normal A-framed roof. He's up the top trying to hold three pieces of wrought iron. My daughter's up the ladder because I'm too nervous to get up a ladder. So she's at the bottom of the ladder trying to hold the other tin. Um, and we're really not doing a very good job of getting this tin off the roof and replacing it. So this Tongan young man, he's about 26 years old, he walks up the road to go to his house and he looks up and he sees Manu up on the roof. He turns around and he shouts out in the middle of the road, Hey old man up on the roof, what are you doing there? Now my husband is 63 years old. Hey old man, what are you doing up on the roof? And then he turns around and looks at my daughter and he says, And hey young lady, what are you doing up a ladder? Do you think you need help? So I'm there, an extrovert soon. I said, yes, come over, we'd love to have some help. So he comes over to us. And uh, he says, he comes up on our deck and he turns around and he says, he said, in my country in Tonga, he says, no old man would be up on the roof. And he said, and no woman would be climbing a ladder to do that work. And it kind of brought out to me, yeah, he's right. Um, and uh, so anyway, he said, do you need help? Well, next thing I know, he's got us like an army. He's saying, you know, come on, guys. One, two, three, we're going to get this done. And, you know, my husband's up on the roof, and he's finally getting these three sheets of iron, trying to get them off the roof. And um, his, Nessie was his name. He turns around and said, okay, girls, to me and my daughter, are you ready? We're going to catch this tin on the count of one, two, three. Oh, my gosh. I felt like I was in a military army. You know, and so we And he was half cut. He was full of alcohol. And that was what was so, so much fun about it. So anyway, you know, we just did what he said. And so we get the tin off the roof and then we take it down and we lay it on the grass because we were just cooking a barbecue. So I said to him, look, come and stay and have some lunch, dinner with us. He said, oh, no, no. I said, come on, you like food. Get up here. And, you know, he's because he's a young guy, he's about 26, he says, oh, do you like my muscles, he says. Well, I've got a good shape, you know. And he goes up to my daughter, you know, my daughter's 46, and uh, he says, do you like my muscles? She said, let me tell you. She said, I'm old enough to be your mama. <laughs> but, you know, the fun thing about that whole testimony, why I share this, is he stayed and had a barbecue with us. And Now, you've got to imagine, my daughter and I, we like quite nice food, so we'd make prawn kebabs and chicken kebabs and fancy salads. And so Nessie comes over and he looks at our barbecue. He says, have you ever been to a Tongan barbecue? <laughs> I said, oh, yeah, I have been to one. He says, well, he says, we don't have those little things. <laughs> he said, we have a big pile of meat, he said. I said, well, let me tell you, Nessie, this is a white Pakeha's barbecue. I said, but we want to share it with you. And so he stayed, you know, he stayed about three, four hours. We couldn't get rid of him in the end. <laughs> but the neat thing is, you know, so he stayed and he had a barbecue and kept going on about his body and, and you know, and uh, saying he wants to have a good wife. I said, well, if you have a good wife, mate, you better get your act together. Because <laughs> he was always drunk, you know, and he'd bring these drunk girls home to see his mother and wondered why she got upset and kicked them out. And uh, so then he turned around, we were having dinner, and uh, he turned around and he said, 
No, he said, I've been watching you and your family. He said, throughout the summer, you have crowds of people on your deck all the time. You're always laughing. You always have people. And uh, he said, I listen to you and your husband, Manu, how you talk to each other during the week. Do you ever think about what your neighbour's hearing? Is it an argument or telling everyone where to go or whatever in the family? And uh, seriously. And he turned around and he says, I want to have a family like that one day. He said, I want to have a family that can laugh and sit out on the deck. He said, when I came to this neighbourhood, he said, I came from the hood and I thought I was moving to the hood. But he said, I looked and thought, you're pretty decent piece of people, I better get my act together. And then he, you know, and he said to me, he said, one day I want to be like this. I want to be like you and your husband. And so we had these opportunities to talk with him. But coming back to what I'm saying here is when we're rubbing shoulders with other people, we don't know who's watching our life. I never thought Nessie would be taking any notice of our life. He might have heard some language out there from my unsafe family, I'm sure. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it obviously touched his heart. And this is what I'm saying. We don't have to get out there and preach. We just have to go out there and let that spirit of God that's in us and take these opportunities to speak into him. You know, young Nessie was 26 years old. He was half cut. His girlfriends were half drunk. And he wondered why his mum wasn't letting him in the house for very long. So, you know, my prayer now is just, you know, one day I really want to see him, you know. Just get those areas together. And we'll be there for him. And we'll probably change our Pākehā barbecue to a Tongan one one day with him. <laughs> but hey, so... <laughs> keep focused and alert you want to make a difference to your generation keep focused and alert keep your eye on those opportunities that are around you walk closely to God this don't, doesn't mean be perfect I get bad attitudes I get angry when I'm tired I'm not fun to be around I get a bit stupid um, but you know it's like you know, walk closely to God and stay connected to others if we're going to win our nation to Christ, we need to live out our faith. Think about where you spend 75% of your time often is in the marketplace, is at work. For a lot of people, work is their family looking after their children. But we want to radiate Christ. We want to be a voice that will help change things where we spend 75% of our time. It's not about church on a Sunday. That's where we come to celebrate to worship, to learn of God, to encourage that person that's sitting next to you. Your smile, like Samu's, for the person who comes in here will make all the difference when they walk out that door. Your word of encouragement to that person sitting in the seat next to you. Sometimes, you know, when the pastor says, turn around and say hello, and you're thinking, oh, no, not again. <laughs> but that one word you say, maybe the only time that person has someone talk to them in the whole day. They may be suicidal and you would not know. That's just been real. But sometimes in our eagerness and pursuing our Christian walk, we create limitations to reaching other people. We isolate ourselves. Don't cut yourself off. My husband used to pay, play golf with an, another, another guy regularly. And then the guy got saved. He became a pastor. And he never played golf again. And I thought, what's with that? What's with that? Manu, my husband, played um, 
cricket, he's Indian, you know, so cricket's a big thing in our house. TV's on all the time when cricket's on, when hockey's on. And uh, my husband, you know, was in a hockey team regularly. And he kept going for many, many years, up to the last few years, just because he said it was an opportunity to rub shoulders with all his friends and still be their friends. And they respected him as a Christian. And he respected them for who they were. Does this make sense? I'm nearly there. I'm not a long preacher. I'm not going to have you here till midday. Okay, next. Be open to change. God gave Noah the plan for the ark to navigate change. The ark was a vessel designed for sailing the waters, but not just sailing the waters, but surviving change and participate in the mission. Participate in the mission. Noah did not build the ark on his own. His family helped him. Think about that. No wonder those kids would have sat on that boat sometimes and thought, oh, we're tired of this. There's no rain. The years are going by. We're all getting ridiculed, including us and and our dad. But they all got stuck in and they all helped to build the ark. They all had their part. We're like that as the family here at Faith Point. There's always on a ship the captain that's got to navigate and steer the ship. Pastor James and Viv are there to navigate and to steer the ship. But we're the crew. We're the crew, everyone, that makes it happen. There are so many things on that boat that had to take place. There's so many things here if we're going to reach our community, if we're going to reach our nation, if we're going to reach globally, we can all get stuck in. Uh, You know, I started off as a cook when I got saved. I didn't know what to do to serve the Lord, but I knew they were having a youth camp and my husband and I turned around and uh, said we, we'd like to just work at, at a um, cooking at the camp. We thought, what a great opportunity. So we went along to this youth camp. Oh, it was crazy. Young people were crazy. You know, there was 200 young people at this camp. 200 young people, and I'd say, without a word of a lie, 50% of them were not saved. They were wild, and I love that. I absolutely love that. That's what it's all about. But at this camp, I saw people getting delivered. I saw people getting set free. I saw, saw people just weeping, you know, and, and it was funny in those days because it was very Pentecostal, you know, someone was, you know, getting prayed for, and all these young ones, there was no rules on, only the pastor can pray for them. They'd all jump up and it was like a mosh pit, all praying for these people. And I remember coming home from that camp, everyone went there rowdy and noisy, and when they came home, they were all quiet. And, you know, to this day, a lot of those young people are travelling the world, preaching Jesus. A lot of them are in Habitat for Humanity, building houses. You know, they've just made such a difference. And for me and my husband, you know, getting involved as cooks in a camp set us on a pathway of working with young people. And we very much had a youth group of 250 people in the end, and out of the 250 people, I'd say a good quarter to half were unsaved. And we really began to minister to young people that become saved, but found it really hard. It's not easy. They come out of a drug world. They come out of a really heavy lifestyle or a heavy family environment, and they just needed that extra help. They needed the mother and fathers. They needed the brothers and sisters to walk beside them. Um, so that's where our heart was. I'm waffling a bit, but, you know, it's just really important that each one of us is part of this boat. James and Viv are going to captain it, they're going to direct it, they're going to steer it, but we need to get in and make it happen. And you may be sitting there and you're thinking, well, what have I got to offer? You have heaps to offer. 
We have so many different personalities in here. We have introvert people. We have extrovert people. We have business people. We have um, contractors. We have labourers. We have people that don't work. We have all sorts of people. And we would look at ourselves and call ourselves amateurs. But remember, amateurs built the ark. Professionals built the Titanic. Which one sunk? Think about it. They never had any professionals build the ark. But they had everyone just pick up and do something with it. And everyone did their part. So no matter what it is, from setting up the chairs in the church to cooking at a barbecue when we do it at the end of the year for the school here, to uh, speaking if you have an opportunity to uh, whatever, there's hundreds of things we can do in the life of a church, not only in here on a Sunday, but seven days a week. Let's get in and build that ark. So Noah, what a great man. What an opportunity. It's not all negative, the world falling apart, flood coming and washing them all out. But God gave a chance for humanity to be restored and for every living thing. I mentioned when I started speaking today that there were archaeologists and explorers that have spent years and years digging up evidence on the ark. Well, a professor and scholar from Kansas University, University, he was part of the exploration team that discovered part of the boat. He also wrote some tips that I want to finish with today to add those la to those last ones I gave you. And this is what he wrote. He said, number one, plan ahead. It wasn't raining when Noah built the ark. Okay, so when you hear from God, don't hang around. It wasn't raining when Noah built the ark. Stay fit. When you're 600 years old, someone might ask you to do something really big. My mother's 90, and she's still always looking for something to do. Just got out of hospital with uh, three operations. She's got herself moving now. One day we had to go into the hospital and tell her, if you don't get moving, Mum, she said, oh, nurses are cruel, they're hard on me. I said, no, this is rehab, Mum. I said, they make you get out of the bed. And she said, well, I do. I want to get out and I want to get back to Pine Song, she said. And she started praying to God and she got herself moving, got her feet up. 90 years old, three operations later, and she's still going at the moment. Really doing well. Three, don't listen to critics. Do what has to be done. There'll always be someone ready to criticise you. Criticise you. If, if you get people criticising you, just go and talk to someone wise, your mentor or someone you look up to and see if they agree. But don't listen to the critics. Build on high ground. For safety's sake, travel in pairs. <laughs> Two heads are better than one. I love this one, number seven. Speed isn't always an advantage. The cheetahs were on board, but so were the snails. Think about that. Two of every animal, every bird, every reptile, all went on that boat. 120 years, God gave man. I wonder how long it took for the snails to get onto that ark. You know, I wonder how long. The cheetahs would have gone flying past. Snails, this is true. And these principles, you've got to look at it in our own life. If you can't fight it or flee from it, float. <laughs> That's a good one. Take care of your animals as if they were the last ones on earth. Don't forget we're all in the same boat. When you're going through issues, when you're going through stuff, we're all in the same boat. We just experience things at different times. Now, number 11. When the doo-doos get really deep, don't sit there and complain, shovel. 
Have you ever thought about Noah's Ark and all the doo-doos? I reckon it would be pretty messy. They wouldn't have had osh. They wouldn't have had environmentally friendly issues because I imagine the sea was full of doo-doos. But, you know, when things get deep in the, in the church, when things go wrong or things go wrong in your life, don't sit back and complain. Pick up a shovel and make a difference. Amen? It's so easy to sit there and criticise and say, look at that person, they shouldn't be doing that or they should be doing that better or, or you know, they're getting old, too old to do that. Baloney. And, you know, whenever there's a change, whenever there's a change, there's going to be confusion. Um, I used to uh, look up to a, a man called Paul Scanlon. He had a large church in Bradford in England. And one day he decided they were going to go into the ghettos of Bradford, which was a real, really, really rough area. And they were going to bus 300 young people to church every Sunday. He warned the people in this church. He said, listen, we're going to start bringing 300 young people into church every Sunday by bus. And because everyone's cheering and praising and hallelujah, that's a great thing. But he said, I'm warning you, where, where the doo-doos get deep, there will be mess. He said, you may find a Bible thrown on the floor. He said, you may find the back of the chair scratched. You may find something broken. But we have to be prepared for that if we're going to bring about change. That church continued, not only the 300 young people, but the parents in the ghetto got saved and started coming along as well. And at the end of every year, they'd not only have a celebration of thanking volunteers that helped, that picked up a shovel and helped in the church, but they had a celebration of all the people out on the streets, the prostitutes, the homeless, and all those that had come to the Lord, and all the community organisations. They had a march and a celebration parade throughout their church. It was just like a wild party. It was great. Okay, we're nearly there. Another tip, stay below the deck during the storm. And remember that the amateurs built the ark, professionals built the Titanic. Love it, my favourite quote. If you have to start over again, have a friend by your side. Remember that the woodpeckers inside often are a bigger threat than the storm outside. You know, you get those people at you, you know, you get those people that are always just irritating, irritating. Those woodpeckers inside can be worse than the storm outside sometimes. No matter how bleak it looks, there's always a rainbow on the other side. And finally, don't miss the boat. You know, the door of the ark is still open. The door of the ark is still open. We've still got time to warn our neighbours. I said to you that the world was depraved, the word was corrupt, and the belief system was immoral. And God wanted to put an end to it, but he gave a second chance through Noah. Then when you flick over to the New Testament, God gave a second chance through his Holy Spirit. Jesus finished with his disciples, finished his ministry on earth, and he filled us with his Holy Spirit. Because God wants to see corruption gone where you work. God wants to see immorality replaced with godly values in the businesses that we're in. God wants to redeem and bring back those that once were. And you may say to yourself, well, you know, I was like Noah, I heard from God, and I had tried, but it failed. And I never want to do anything again. I say go back and pick up the shovel.
You know, I was got really hurt by a church many years ago when my marriage fell apart. Um, one day I had 2,000 friends, the next day I think I had six. Or four, actually. And I remember sitting by my swimming pool one day, broken. Absolutely broken. And these four young people, they're young guys in the church, known as the backsliders in the church. Because other ones were always getting into trouble and uh, just didn't quite live that perceived look that you should be as a Christian. But they would arrive at my place because I lived up in Bethel's on a farm. And they would arrive there with their surfboards, put them down beside my pool. They'd sit there and talk for me for hours. They'd go out in the bush and chop up the wood for me and stack it by the fire. Those four young people became a strength in my life. And um, that was just a beautiful thing. One day, the boat, the door will shut. But right now, God is a God of a second chance. And whether you've tried before, like me, you know, when I went through that situation, I turned around and said, Sue, you are the church. You may have been hurt by people in the church, but you are the church. What can you learn from this situation? And from that situation with those young guys, I learned I can make a difference. And it was those days that I decided I was going to pack up and go overseas and preach the love of Jesus and teach young people that lived on the streets in Romania. Uh, so, you know, I was, you know, people would have called me middle-aged, broken marriage, but I made a stand. I picked up and I got out and I made a difference for the church and to people over there. So I want to encourage you, everyone. God's looking for Noahs, here men and women, to remain faithful and consistent in all your ways. Love God, love people, and be part of this church. Be part of the crew. Pick up and run with the purpose that God has here so that we can help bring back restoration to our nation, to our city, to our suburb. Amen.